It's March 20th, 2023. And this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today in our show, thoughts on the fallout of Silicon Valley Bank. Allbird stock crashes. Shopify's latest investor meeting. Secret shopping Amazon buy with Prime. And finally, the Investor Minute, which contains five items this week in the world of venture capital, acquisitions, and IPOs. But first, in our shopping cart full of news, thoughts on the fallout of Silicon Valley Bank. It's been a week since the demise of Silicon Valley Bank, and this debacle is still in everyone's minds. Obviously, the depositors have been secured by the government. First, how could they not do this? To do otherwise would be like telling depositors that their $1 may not be worth $1. The banking system would never survive on that premise. Otherwise, everyone would essentially only bank with the government, the lender of last resort. When it became fully clear that this was mostly SVB risk mismanagement and not actual fraud, most of the funds were in fact available on a longer time horizon, just not in the short-term time needed. We could safely assume that something would happen to help depositors stay whole. Nothing else makes sense. Second, while I've talked here about the bullwhip effect, I'm going to keep doing that because in the next two years, we're going to keep in that mode. With everything from consumer behavior, inventory levels, supply chain, prices, corporate behavior, instant rates, etc. Whether you think the next interest rate hike will be 25 basis points or 50, everyone agrees that we are not done hiking. Then rates will stay higher for some time. How long? Nobody knows. And of course, they'll come down at some point, at least slightly. However you slice it, that means in the next couple of years, we will be dealing with some kind of bullwhip effect due to the changes in the system. Cautious planning is going to continue to be the watchword until the war in Ukraine is over, because this, in fact, inflation, and rates stabilize for longer than 6 to 12 months. You can't fix the bank, so don't try and overcorrect there. The government will keep regular banks safe. As long as valuation multiples are down and interest rates are elevated, you have to keep expecting that some new and unexpected part of the world will break every few months because we're still working our way through the pandemic and easy money compounded by a war in Eastern Europe. I do have a somewhat long view on the failure of startups having been through the 2001.com bust in the first few years of my corporate career. This is gonna pass. Just don't take wild bets and keep your company cash flow positive until the good times return. If you do that, things will stay on the rails. I still feel it's always a good time to start a company, but relatively speaking, it's not a great time to start a company that needs a ton of capital without proof of results. If you're bootstrapped and not overfunded and are building something with integrity and quality, you're gonna be okay. One last thing, if anyone needs help or advice, I'm here, feel free to reach out. At the end, relationships are what matter in this business, not the bits and bytes and not the dollars in your bank account. Our second story, Allbird stock crashes. The direct-to-consumer darling Allbird stock has crashed based on a recent earnings report from the company. The details were provided by Business Insider, and here's what you need to know. The company reported a $101 million annual loss and a 13% drop in quarterly sales. Shares dropped more than 47% shortly thereafter, and as of this recording, the company's stock was hovering around $1. The company did announce more wholesale partners and a big plan to reduce expenses. As someone who has three pairs of Allbirds in his closet, I'm a little sad at this news. 
However, I have a feeling that in this environment, this is a death spiral that they will not be able to recover from on their own. It could take years to recover investor confidence. In the meantime, the clock is ticking. Despite the fact that the company is losing money, I don't expect Alberts to go out of business, even though it's relatively small. That said, Alberts is doing something majorly wrong here. The company took in $300 million in revenue in 2022, and despite this, an additional $100 million in losses hit the bottom line. That's a brand with negative 33% net operating margin. If Allbirds shut down its website and sold inventory to jobbers, it would make a lot more money. My take is that Allbirds will be acquired, and that could be in the next six months. What do you think, Watsonians? Our third story. Shopify's latest investor meeting. Last week, Shopify's president, Harley Finkelstein, and CFO Jeff Hoffmeister were at the Morgan Stanley TMT conference where they provided updates on their new enterprise solution, Commerce Components by Shopify, and its fulfillment business. Here are the top statements I took away from the event. First, Shopify Fulfillment Network is really about shop promise. Harley said the company wanted to be able to display a badge to merchants, and this badge has been proven to improve conversion rates by up to 25%. Well, if this is true, I actually feel sorry for Harley. I personally know at least three different companies that can predict shipment dates, which would not have cost $2 billion. Then you can buy up 3PL if you want for one time's revenue. What Harley should have said instead is that, sure, we can provide a badge, but that badge is worthless without fulfillment excellence. Unfortunately, they gave analysts no idea how they will make that happen except to push more work to partners. Can we just say it? You didn't need to spend $2 billion on delivery to build a shipping badge. The $2 billion mistake only happened because Shopify doesn't understand logistics to begin with. Second, Shopify expects between tens of thousands and millions of merchants to use Shopify Fulfillment Network. While he didn't use numbers, CFO Jeff Hoffmaster provided a kind of range that might predict logistics adoption at Shopify. He said that Shopify's adoption of its tax software signed up tens of thousands of merchants on the one hand, and on the other hand, shop pay adoption as a percentage of its total gross merchandise volume is now at 56%. Can we be real for a minute? Jeff is misinformed at best here and delusional at worst. Logistics adoptions is not in between the range of these two terrible examples provided by the CFO. Logistics adoption is about 10 times harder than changing a payment processor because it requires inventory movement and trust. Third, Shopify now participates in RFPs. Who knew? This is kind of cool, actually. Late last year, I actually witnessed this firsthand. I worked up a detailed RFP for a B2B e-commerce project, sent the document to Shopify, and its product team told me which items were on the roadmap. That's cool, right? Fourth, Shopify refused to pick a single target market. When Shopify was asked what its target market was, the answer essentially was everyone. Of course, this is the answer the company would give, but it's going to be problematic in the long term. Investors want to see a focus, and I think in the long term, it's not going to be intellectually honest. The reason is, Shopify is no longer a company that makes most of its money on subscription software. It makes most of its money from payments. Fifth, Shopify says it will sign a deal with Amazon over Buy With Prime. This one was surprising a little bit, but I guess the company has to keep answering this way because financial analysts are asking. Shopify could have just said that company is not inclined to sign, but essentially what the executive says is that a deal will get done with Amazon but it will be on Shopify's terms, leaving merchants in control over the customer, the data, and the back office experience. One last thing, Harley basically admitted the company would increase the price of Shopify Plus at some point, but not yet. That's something to pay attention to for the brands and agencies listening. 
And our last story, secret shopping Amazon buy with Prime. The analysts on our team at RMW Commerce have been working on a secret project, a secret shopper project that is. What do I mean? Well, I've been surprised that there've been so many people talking about buy with Prime, but few of them have actually ever looked at it, much less purchased from a seller with it. I decided to remedy that. To make it easy on Amazon and perhaps prove a point, I decided to throw the company a softball. Let's purchase from their case study accounts. Here's what I learned. In the transcript, I have the full report and a link to sign up to my newsletter. Note when I say all of Amazon's sellers later on, I mean all their case study sellers. First, the sellers I shopped are using fulfillment by Amazon rather than Amazon's multi-channel fulfillment product. This means the packaging is bad, undifferentiated, and worse than a typical premium D2C experience. Second, all the case study sellers on Buy With Prime are using Shopify. If you wonder why Amazon needs to sign a deal with Shopify, look no further. In the sweet spot of D2C, small and medium businesses that Buy With Prime could help, anecdotally, I find like 90% of these people are using Shopify. So yeah, Amazon must get a deal done. Third, buyers need to agree to Amazon's privacy policy as part of the purchase workflow. This is not just about fast delivery then, which is actually, the delivery was great. This is about data sharing. Will this even work in Europe? I think it will be extremely complicated to pull off. Fourth, I actually never got a branded email from a Shopify store during a Buy With Prime purchase experience. When I was contacted during the purchase experience, all messages were either from Amazon itself or Amazon Pay. Only one brand in all my purchases sent me a single email before I got the item, and it was to tell me that my brand had created an account for me and to reset my password for it. I guess thanks for nothing? Fifth, returns were hard, like super hard. Both Amazon customer service and the DSC brands I purchased from could barely find these orders in their databases, much less tell me how to process a return successfully. I did not feel like I had an A to Z guarantee. Suffice to say, if I were a buyer of a brand, there is zero advantage to buying with Prime for the same item that could be on Amazon. In fact, if the item is already on Amazon, buy with Prime on a D2C website adds significant friction. If the item is not on Amazon, then you lose the ease of your typical D2C experience. While it's certainly possible that Amazon will get its act together here, I find it hard to believe that Amazon Buy With Prime will have a huge impact on Shopify or anyone else in 2023 based on this experience. Hey Watsonians, this is Rick. If you really want to get my take on a burning question and have me answer on this podcast, you can start a topic on the RMW Commerce community they're asking me. This community is full of e-commerce diehards just like you talking about important e-commerce issues. Just last week, one of the popular topics added by Hendrik included that the e-commerce company Box may be preparing for a bankruptcy. Ouch. So don't delay. Just visit other listeners at community.rmwcommerce.com to sign up and post for free. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have five items on the menu today. First, e-commerce firm Spreetail raised $208 million. Spreetail is what the industry has come to call an e-commerce marketplace accelerator firm. What's an accelerator? It's essentially a full-service agency that helps you sell on a marketplace, but instead of being just a normal agency, it also issues purchase orders against your inventory. Pattern in the U.S. and We Are Pentagon in the U.K. are other firms in the space. I'm a little surprised to see this large of a raise, but I'd be even more surprised if I learned later that most of this raise was capital instead of debt. Second, 
Rebuy Engine raised a Series A to tackle the personalization space. Rebuy, which I remember more as a recommendation and upsell engine, has been expanding its services and now offers a wider suite of offerings. The company is raising a $14 million Series A and claims to power more than 10% of Shopify Plus merchants. Third, no-code EDI firm Crystal, C-R-S-T-L, raised a seed round to make EDI cool again. To the extent that the VC community has gotten the memo that EDI is cool, we might have jumped the shark, haven't we? This company aims to solve the problem of a lot of direct-to-consumer brands that may go out of business if they don't diversify into retail. Seems like the tough market to pick winners in, in terms of which brands will go out of business versus which ones will make it. Fourth, e-commerce aggregator Una Brands raised $30 million in a follow-on of its last round. Una Brands is an Asia-focused e-commerce aggregator, so it takes the same bad model that became popular in the United States and spreads it all over the world. Ugh. And finally, automated Amazon Vendor Central refund company Dimetide got acquired. Dimetide is one of the larger players in the Amazon screw-up space. If you didn't know, there's a whole industry of companies that do nothing more than look for Amazon billing snafus and then automatically file cases with Amazon on the customer's behalf to get money back. Apparently, this happens a lot because several of these companies have gotten acquired. In the fulfillment by Amazon screw-up world, GetEda has been acquired last year by private equity investors. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar. The show is produced by Jose Baez, production manager, Gabriela Montequin. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.